0: Welcome friends, welcome to another episode of the Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture and urban farmer, curmudgeon skeptic, and Keller Williams agent. What is Renegade Detroit Investors? RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group is about networking and doing deals. This ain't your grandma's Ria, folks. No guru bullshit from the front, no smell stale coffee, been gay, and or disappointment. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yellow rooms, you know, hey, how you doing? RDI is also this podcast where several times a week we have different shows that hit. Like today, we're sitting down with a guest, and we're going to interview and talk about his life. Or on Thursdays, we have story time with Tommy. Or Tuesdays, we have flip this podcast with Steve. Uh, We also record the RDI meeting, tons of new content all the time coming out. And speaking of which, if you enjoy this podcast, I really need you to help me out. I know I ask you every time. How about you fucking do it? All right, pull out your phone, go to iTunes and rate and review. I'm only kidding, but only half kidding. Help a brother out, man. Unfortunately, in the iTunes world, that's how we grow this thing. Also, for everybody sharing the podcast, thank you. A ton of you are. I really do appreciate it. Keep doing that. There's been a huge spike lately. We were up to 1,500 weekly listeners. Our goal by August is 5,000. So we have 3,500 more weekly listeners we need to add. I can't do it without you. So keep sharing. And for those, I do try and thank everybody. And for those I miss, uh, I'm sorry or I didn't see it. I I do. I really appreciate it. All right. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, go to renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in attending any of the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash investors. Or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at Jeremy Burgess. I'm on Snapchat at Jeremy A. Burgess, now that I know how to use it. Or go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. Legal disclaimer, don't blame me, man. Look at all these mouth-breathing morons we're surrounded by. In no way, shape, or form should anything that I and or my guests say be taken as legal and or investment advice we highly recommend that before you make any investment decision or decisions, you contact a lawyer and/or other licensed professionals. Be an adult, grow up, don't sue me. All right, time for the Renegade Detroit Investor Show quote, where I pick a quote or my guest does that sets a tone for the podcast and hopefully your week. And this week we went with something from the good old Snowball Warren Buffett. I will tell you to become rich. Close the doors. Be fearful when others are greedy. Be greedy when others are fearful. Warren Buffett. And let me introduce you to my guest today, Mr. Carson McGuire. He's born in Pleasant Ridge, uh, Michigan, which is a suburb of Detroit. His father worked as a part-time agent in the late 80s and early 90s and acquired uh, six rental homes. So he grew up working on his parents' uh, rental homes. He played a bunch of competitive sports until a string of injuries in high school shifted his focus do business. He attended the University of Detroit Jesuit High School. Uh, it's an environment apparently that encourages business minded students. And he graduated in 2012. He attended Michigan State University, graduating in May 2016 with a finance degree and an entrepreneurship minor. He uh, briefly joined Venture for America, um, the same program that the Castle guys were a part of, but quit after a few months to pursue real estate. Full time. He began investing at nine years of age when he purchased a $100 of Ford stock. He hustled money by watching neighbors' dogs after school, delivering newsletters door to door, and uh, published paid articles for associated content at 16. He began reliable snow and lawn care at 16 and grew it to 165 weekly mowing accounts and serviced roughly 18% of Pleasant Ridge. He sold that company. In August of 2016, after six years of operation to get in the real estate full-time, right, man? Yes, sir. All in. He decided to pursue real estate late 2012 with the capital generated from his landscaping company. Uh, His original intent was to flip a home for quick money. uh, Then his mindset shifted to purchasing a rental. His first purchase was a duplex in Pleasant Ridge in May 2013. And, of course, everything went wrong with that first deal. And since then, he has bought nine rentals in Hazel Park, Oak Park, and Roseville, flipped two homes, and is currently in the process of rehabbing and flipping six homes. Definitely go check him out. Go to facebook.com forward slash Ridge Investment Properties, Ridge Investment Properties, or you can find him at CarsonBuysHouses.com. Welcome, sir. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, so. I find that interesting. One thing I've noticed after all these interviews is there's a bunch of hustles at an early age by a lot of serial entrepreneurs. So let's go back to things. That, that always amazes me. At what point did you realize, wait a second, I'm doing something different than a lot of other kids are doing, or did you realize that you were somewhat different?
1: Well, it was definitely early on, even when I was um, three or four. I'd dress up in a three-piece suit, go out with my mom to the grocery store. I'd go play up in our attic and get all their old business uh, paperwork and stuff and go through that. So it was pretty early on. It wasn't necessarily the the normal little kid stuff.
0: At three or four, you were nobody likes the paperwork, man. <laughs>
1: I, don't know what, I don't even know what I would do, but I would just be up there for hours just shuffling through their old taxes and... Something about it I just liked.
0: Like I like money. Wait, where did what happened to the three-piece suits?
1: That yeah, that, that, I, it that was about in make... high school. I said to myself, I need to work a job that I'll never have to wear a suit day in my life, unless I want to. <sighs> never be forced. To
0: Not end. a fan of the suits, huh?
1: Not a fan of the suits.
0: Well, walk me through some of your uh, childhood entrepreneurial endeavors that you went through.
1: Yeah. So the the first one that I can really think of is Pleasant Ridge, small Hill city, is about thousand homes. So they deliver a newsletter once a year, twice a year, just to every house. And what they would do is they just give it to um give it to someone, an adult that can, you know, have their kids go out and, and pass around. I think we got hundred and fifty dollars and it took like eighteen, twenty hours. So my dad would always write up the newsletter for the city, organize it and have them pay us to go do it. So, you know, two, three times a year we'd get 150 bucks, my brother and I you know, just going door to door, every single house in the city, dropping them off in the front porch. So you walked all thousand houses, all thousand houses. Yeah. I've done that maybe 10 times in my life, 15 <laughs> times. It's been a lot of walking. Has anybody walked every
0: house more than you? Maybe no, your brother?
1: I doubt it because when I started my landscaping company for all six years, that's how I advertised. My sole advertising was still door to door flyers beginning of the season the last year before I sold it, I probably did ten to 12,000 flyers. So just me and sometimes I'd be able to find someone that would do it. A lot of times not, just door to door. Just walk to every single yeah, door and put a flyer, flyer on. Door. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What made you get into uh, the lawn business? The lawn business? So actually what happened was my um, my junior year of high school, I was I got awarded a a trip with the school to go to Honduras over the summer for a service trip. So it was like a $2,000 trip. Um so I had to pay that. My parents paid I think half of it and I had to come with the other half. So at that point I had some savings but you know I was looking to make some more money. So I had a buddy that actually started that went to high school with me. He started a landscape company, um small scale based out of Royal Oak. So it was the day before a big storm, we were in class together and he asked me if I wanted to go help him the next day, shoveling driveways, you know, paid me 10 bucks an hour cash. I said, Yeah, hey, it's perfect. You know, it's just Honduras money. So I did that, worked five hours, made 50, 55 bucks. You know, it was good money. I was happy with it, but I was like, man, I knew, I mean, I was at, I was always curious with numbers and you know, how people were doing. So I started asking, what do you charge this person? What do you charge this person? End of the day, I figured, all right, we probably did 20, 25 homes he made, you know, 500 bucks. You know, I made 55. I was happy, but you know, I'm not on the right side of this equation. Yeah,
0: I was going to say, you're so, on the wrong side, right?
1: Yeah. So then the, um, the next snowstorm, the day the night before, you know, I typed up these awful newsletters, printed out 200 door-to-door, just a few neighbors down the street. Um, so that really started my business. And then, you know, I went out the next day. Everyone called me, like, a nine-inch storm. Um, I think I did seven or eight different homes, you know, a few of those people said, Hey, if you want to do me the rest of the winter, you know, sign me up whenever it snows, come on over and I'll pay you cash every time. So that's when that light bulb kind of hit, man, if I only paid out 200 and I got seven, eight homes, a few more residual, get more flyers. Boom. So that was the birth of it.
0: Just like that. that. So then it kind of snowballed, right? It snowballed
1: quite a bit. Yeah. So, um, yeah, what really, so that was in the winter that spring. Um, that's when I decided, you know, I really want to try to get aggressive. My goal was to make $12,000 that summer. You know, I would tell my friends and they say, you're crazy. You can't make 12,000, you know, bucks. So I figured if I had, I don't even know what the number was, maybe 30 mowing accounts for the year or 20 mowing accounts, you know, I'd be able to figure $20 a cut, 25 cuts of the year, just started to do the numbers. Um, and then what really catapulted me was one of my older brothers is in advertising. So he, Drew up a flyer that you know was pretty professional. Flyer drew up my logo, did all that. So then that first year, I passed out close to two thousand flyers and ended up with thirty five accounts. But what I didn't anticipate was all the side work, you know, trimming bushes, putting down mulch. So that first summer at sixteen, you know, I was able to make twenty thousand at the end of the year, and I was like, shit, that's a good year. this This is this is something that I can keep keep on going and and building
0: you make sure to rub it in everybody's faces that you couldn't do it?
1: No, I was (laughs) nicer
0: than me. (laughs) It's like, you forgot. You said I couldn't do it. I don't know what it is about lawn companies. I, I hate to say it wasn't a lawn company, but I did something similar, not nearly as consistent as you. I was far lazier. I was really in the cars and girls at the time. So (laughs) I was, I keyed on a couple of jobs, thatching and falling trees because those were the two highest per hour wages that nobody else wanted to do. And then at the end I threw in weeding because you can literally charge people anything you want for weeding. Like they'll totally tap out. So um, how did you, so you got it with the snow, basically the snow service and then all the ancillary benefits come in and this all started at the age of 16.
1: Yeah. So I started it at 16. Um, I, uh, it really was just trying to, you know, that first part, save up money for Honduras. Then after that it was, man, this is something that, that can be, you know, a lot bigger than what I want, you know, or I thought it would be. Um, because my goal was always, I mean, I was always pre entrepreneurship driven. Um, like you said, I was writing articles, you know, just doing just the littlest things that never actually get a job. I mean, even the day, I've never had a job that I was paid and, you know, hourly or had a boss. So even back then I, I had the idea of, you know, I don't know if I really want to go work for someone when I'm older. Um, so I think, Early on, I saw the success that I was having and could have in lawn care and figured, man, if I can just keep growing this and get workers under me. And so it was no idea how I would do it or if I would do it, but it was kind of just that that little thing in the back of my mind that really got me aggressive and motivated to do that.
0: Well, one thing I remember is when you do lawns and you do landscaping, a lot of people don't pay. No. Yeah. There's a little like, yeah, yeah, come back. Oh, yeah, no. And they, they forget. Now... You started at 16. How did you handle the, or maybe you probably handle it multiple ways, but how did you handle the no pay? So, I mean, that's,
1: that's Jesse Boyd's famous, you know, he couldn't get people to pay. He came up with a system. Um, I wish I could say that I came up with some crazy elaborate system that worked, but no, I was lucky because my biggest thing when I started that business was close proximity for accounts. So Pleasant Ridge is you know, a thousand homes, real tight knit community, everyone knows each other. So, my niche coming out was just dominate this one market. So, in Pleasant Ridge, you know, it's a higher end community, upper middle class. Um, so, a lot of the people, one, you know, had money. It's not like they were, you know, chasing money themselves every week, every month. And then, two, everyone knows each other. So, you know, people know me, they know my family. So, I think some people had a little bit, you know, to lose if you screw over the old lawn boy.
0: Oh, you didn't pay the neighbor kid, huh? Yeah, you know, I was hoping to get my paycheck, Evelyn, but, you know, the next-door neighbor didn't, so I really need yours.
1: So-and-so didn't? (laughs) Plus, was at 16. I was still... Six two two twenty. So that's true. There's always a little bit of intimidation if need. I
0: wouldn't not give you money. I would totally cave <laughs> and give you money. <laughs> How did you um, work out your billing and everything like that? Yeah, and
1: that was even the day I sold it. That was just a broken system. Hmm. Um, what I would do is uh, every month, you know, I would just as as the weeks went on, I would write down whose lawn I did each day. You know, handwrite it, put it over to a spreadsheet. You know, once a week or once a month, and then from that sh- spreadsheet. Print out, you know, a hundred, however many bills I was doing that month and just handwrite it all. Then I got then I got to the point of okay, I can just copy and paste it and do it all on the internet or on on Word. So that expedited the process a little bit. But what really um got me going is my second to last year before I sold, I met Sean Friend, who's about on this podcast. He has a a really good company out in Redford Livonia. And he's the one that bought Jesse's grass bandits. So I sat down with Sean. Actually, it was the day after the first renegades meeting I went to. So Sean, you know, was telling me all about Jesse and grass bandits and how it just really the whole thing with grass bandits and the success that Sean has been able to, you know, spring off of with that company that Jesse started and he bought was just a billing process system. So Sean told me a lot about his system. It made sense. Um, basically what he did is instead of, you know, waiting for the four weeks, writing out a bill at the end of each month, sending it, hoping they pay you in the next week or two. Sometimes it's two, four, six, twelve 12 weeks until they actually pay. He'd keep everyone's credit card on file. And after two weeks, just draw it. he draws the the money off the credit card. So it really automated the process and sped it up. So he told me about that. Still wasn't smart enough to implement it. But what I did do is I finally bought QuickBooks, and they have a billing system that you can just bill um, electronically through an email and they can pay. So that's what I did my last year. So a lot of stubbornness, a lot of just time wasted, but. Oh yeah. But then, you know, you get busy. When you get busy, you get lazy about, you know, tasks like that. So billing was always a problem because I trusted that my, most of my clients would pay and they did, which I was thankful for. So, you know, if it goes two, three months in and, you know, I know they're going to pay. It's just, I got to get the bill out. So it kind of gets put on the back burner and it didn't cost me too much, but that was a dangerous slope to go down if I was still doing that this day to this day. So.
0: Well, that's one of the dangers about, and I'm as guilty of as anybody, especially the last three, four months, is we get so busy working in our business oh, yeah. that we forget to work on our business, right? And I'm really guilty of that right now. There's so much shit I need to do, and I'm yeah. just just tied to the day-to-day operations. Like I got to knock that shit off. So you opened it at 16, and how old were you when you sold?
1: Um, Well, my sale was... I I went on contract to sell when I was 21, but the way our contract worked to the end buyer was um, I got a royalty for 12 months. So technically I officially sold um, last August of 2016.
0: All right. Do you so, mind sharing uh, how much you made or how you worked out the yeah, deal? Yeah, So
1: the way that, that the sales sold, I mean, landscaping companies, I mean, inherently have very little value. I mean, I'm selling a customer that I have no contract with. I have no, you know, billing billing process that I'm guaranteed payment. So I'm really just selling an address and a name and good faith that if you take over, they'll keep paying you. So there's intrinsically just low value to to landscaping companies and lawn accounts. So it's hard to put a price tag. Um, At that time, I had 165 accounts that I was mowing weekly, then all the landscaping, stone removal on top. Um, So originally I was asking 40 for my business, 40,000. Put an ad on craigslist <laughs> not knowing what was going to come um and then on top of that i have all the equipment that i was able to liquidate and but so i was asking 40 um some people were interested 10 15 20 and i knew that the real key to my business was just the proximity everything out of the 165 accounts like 70 75 percent were within a one mile radius so you get to a street, you know, you mow nine homes, six. You can in mow a row. lot of yards fast. So it's efficient. So the prop the profitability margin was a lot higher. So I was really needed a buyer that would see and, and realize that and value it. Um so the first real good hit I got off my Craigslist ad was the um this guy that ended up buying it, grow earth out of Royal Oak. He uh not I could tell right from his first email, he wasn't a typical landscape guy that just had a truck and uh in a mower and did a few homes. He was real articulate. So the way that, that he wanted to do it was, he gave me nothing up front. but he gave me a twenty two percent royalty of all work that I brought in for the next twelve months. So I sold it at a pretty um, tough time to sell a business. It was in August when we, we signed their first twelve uh, month contract. And August, there's only a few months left in the season. So if he gave me, you know, that forty thousand up front. He has a few months that he can make a little bit off of that, then he just has to hope and pray that they come back in the spring. So he worked it out to mitigate his risk and to you know, incentivize my reward is I get 22% royalty off the top of every work that I bring in, that I brought into the original deal, and any work that I would bring in in addition to. So if I wanted, I could still have gone out, advertised, brought in more business. Anything that that brought in, I get 22%. Um, And then his big kicker that sold me was he never did snow removal. He had about he had a big company, um, 18 employees, but never did snow, just strictly landscape um, services and lawn care. So he wanted to get in the snow, but, you know, doesn't really didn't really want to invest the time and kind of wanted to test the waters before he jumped in. So he let me use his guys, his trucks, his equipment to do snow that season. And I could keep 100 percent of the profit. So for him it was a good testing tool zero I mean low risk and for me I can leverage his manpower to grow my snow for that one year. So that was a that was pretty good.
0: That's so, a good deal. How do how long did it take you guys to negotiate
1: this deal? Out? It was not long. So he we exchanged a few emails. I mean his first email was pretty much, all right, your business is worthless. You have no contracts. You know it, <laughs> I know it. Let's meet up and talk. So I appreciated that. Direct. So he was direct. Um so we met up and Roy Lok at a bar one night, sat down, started to talk, and we instantly, you know, clicked and built a lot of trust. And I found out he actually graduated from the same high school U of D, um generation older than me, but so we we hit it off pretty well at the beginning. So it was a lot of just mutual trust. I and mean, we got to the point when we really started to talk numbers. It was all right, you know I want out of the business. Um, We both know that even with me out, I'm going to do everything I can to, you know, protect my legacy of reliable, stone long care and help you succeed. So there's just that mutual understanding. All right. We don't know exactly how we're going to do it, but we both know that we want this to succeed. So let's just do it and we'll figure out as we go, because um, I know originally we talked about it. We were thinking about a 25 percent royalty on mowing and then a lesser royalty for. Um, landscape work because there can be a lot more money in that. But he just said, "Let's just call it twenty-two, and you get gross on landscape, the gross revenue instead of off a profit." So it worked out for me. It worked out for him.
0: Hey, that's an interesting Wayne, Did you guys have a contract? Yeah, or? we
1: signed a, a pretty good contract. Um, actually, yeah, I mean, it's I typed it. I made the whole thing, which is not advisable. I <laughs> never do. But at the same time, I mean, both both him and I knew that there was such a good level of trust. That there were things that we probably wouldn't even be able to account for in the contract, and we would just figure it out as we went through issues, which there were none. But get a lawyer. Yeah, I think that you, that
0: a, university yeah. or with that Detroit Jesuit, whatever. Yeah, yeah, university yeah, Detroit. that's like a common bond, right? It's like, yeah,
1: it's it's a very strong bond.
0: Whenever so, I run to somebody from the military, like I automatically, hey, yeah, I automatically trust them. You know, it's yeah. probably not the smartest thing to do, but same sort of situation, <laughs> yeah, right? You guys yeah. just immediately trusted each other. Yeah. So that was ten years in the lawn care business, right?
1: I had six years. Six years. So okay. it was five years of me operating and then one year of Grow Earth taking over. And then this um this August was the end of my six year.
0: Boom. No more, right?
1: No more. Thank God, no more.
0: Yeah. So what were what were some of your favorite things about starting or running a lawn business? And I'm gonna ask you the next question on some of the, your <laughs> your least favorite things as well.
1: Favorite things. I mean Looking back at it now, just the experience. I mean, it, I mean, I went to, you know, pretty good business school, Michigan state finance degree, entrepreneurship minor. But what I learned just those five years from 16 to, you know, 21 and how to run a business at a, you know, even a small level, but I was doing the marketing, accounting, management, just everything. I mean, that was just an invaluable skill. Um, being out there, I never mind the work. I mean, I'm a, Get it. My dad's a really hard worker. He really instilled that on me. So I never mind going out, mowing those 10, 12 hour days. Some days that could be pretty refreshing just to blank out, you know, just go into routine. Dude, I love that too. But it's not just you. There were days at the end that I just did not want to mow. (laughs) Especially.
0: When it's cold, that's when I, like, about halfway through the cold days, I'm like, "Eh, maybe I don't like
1: this. (laughs) I still can't even, anytime it snows, I still cringe and just think about those 22, 28-hour days, all the equipment breaks, and you're just out there with the shovel. I hate it. Yeah, Sean Friend
0: was when he was doing all that. I think he got out of snow finally for the most part, just because yeah. he got so tired of everything breaking and yeah, everything and, like that. And
1: Jesse was smart enough that he never even got to snow in the beginning. Yeah, just, he's always <laughs> just above and beyond. Yeah.
0: Well, that dude's just wicked smart. Go back and listen to that podcast episode too. What was so? What were the worst mistakes or the things you least liked about um, about the, the lawn care business?
1: Worst mistake was definitely. The, my process of trying to scale it. I knew my goal, even from early on, was always get it to the point that I'm not out there working all day, every day. And I knew that means, you know, setting up the systems, getting the people in place. I knew that, but just too stubborn to implement systems, really find people. So for years, as the company grew, all that meant was I just work more hours. And I never minded, you know, hard work, working long weeks, long days, but that's just not a scalable model. So that was, by far and away, my biggest mistake, not valuing valuing my time more and trying to achieve the highest and best use of my time.
0: Yeah, you had that youthful energy, right? Yeah, you just it throw it at so many things and conquer it <laughs> until you get older. <laughs>
1: yeah, because really what happened was, so my last year, um, I brought a guy on that I really thought I could try to grow off of, that I mean, he was really good at what he did. He was had some attitude problems. but was smart could figure stuff out on his own. So my last year... I was entering my senior year of college, 165 accounts. Um, it was just him and I mowing all day, every day. So what the plan was, because throughout all the college, you know, I would go to class two days a week, come home, mow, work on homes at night. So I knew that senior year with 165 accounts, I couldn't do it in three to four days I had off of school. So he was gonna go out and work the days I had class on his own. And then days I had off, I would come home, we'd work together and um, he'd be busy, I'd be busy, we could get it done. And school starts end of August, late July. We had a blow up. He left and I was like, I'm so screwed. I cannot do one hundred and sixty five homes and you know, the hours I have with school and the driving. So and I was you know, that was the point that I was telling Sean the other day, Sean friend, um the as soon as he left, I mowed all the homes for one week and then I was like, you know what, I need to sell this business. (laughs) A week later, I think I got that contract (laughs) signed. Damn, it so a week, just, it was that I fast. Just, I knew. Yeah. I knew I'm done yep, tapping out. Never regretted it since.
0: So in the beginning, your father was a part-time real estate agent too. Yeah. And he acquired six rentals for your family, right? Yes. And like any good real estate investor, he's pro-child labor, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's pro-labor in general. Even now, I mean, he'll work 80, 100-hour weeks. And I tried to outwork him, but I just can't do it. It's frustrating. It's like, I mean, he's, what, 62 now, and I just can't outwork him. So that's really where the work ethic came in, in the real estate. Um, He has a pretty good story on how he got into real estate. Uh, He came out of school as a social worker. And social worker, not the highest-paying job, works for a nonprofit. So, you know, in his 20s, early 30s, he was always just so broke, so poor. You know, he would – what happened was um, his turning point was – He him and his friends sailed. They'd go on sailing trips to like, you know, Mackinac Island and these little uh, races. And there was one weekend that they needed two hundred bucks to get to Mackinac and he didn't have the money. And I think that was a turning point in his life. He just got fed up. He's like, you know what? I work hard, but I can't keep doing, you know, social work and not be able to do what I want to do. It's not like he was living lavishly, it's just not a high paying career. So at that point he knew that he had to do more. So we turned to um actually I only found this out a year or two ago that he got his mechanics license and thought he could be a part-time mechanic. He got his real estate license and then started to sell homes on the side. And I know one year he actually hit a million in sales. Damn. Which in the late 80s, part-time. part-time probably not really knowing what he was doing. That's Now,
0: folks, this is not California. This is Michigan. And in the 80s, they're pretty much like 2008. They're just fucking giving houses away. So like, he had to sell a lot of houses that hit a yeah. million dollars in sales. Part-time, too.
1: Yeah. yeah, and, and Damn that's so- savage. Then what he started to do is he would live in a home, you know, scrape up the ten percent down needed, and he was buying. I mean, luckily he was buying in Ferndale, Royal Oak, Berkeley. Back then, those were thirty, fifty thousand dollar homes. So he would scrape up, you know, three, 000, four thousand for the down payment. Borrowed a lot of money from family, um, get the homes, and then live in them for a year, fix them up slowly, and then once that year lapsed, move out, get a renter, and just did that for a number of years.
0: That's how you can always tell who's serious about getting into this business and who's not. Like, oh, it's gonna take a long time, or how am I gonna do it? And then someone like your dad is—I don't care how long it takes. Just <laughs> I'll live in time. it for a year and fix it up slowly over time.
1: Yeah, and and he has a—he has a really good business mind, but um, never really thinks big scale. I mean, he's just go in there, do the work, work hard, and get it done. Which I
0: is, sympathize.
1: <laughs> it works. I mean, it's done. I mean, that's his retirement right there, and I mean, that's really changed his life, my life, my. Siblings' lives, but not so that was really good growing up in that atmosphere that gave me my work ethic. But it, I realized that that's not a scalable model and that really taps your potential. So it's, but yeah, he was really my first um, experience in real estate. So I mean, everything he did was hands on. I mean, he would sub out some electrical, some plumbing, but other than that, he's done everything and anything. Um, So whenever tenants moved out growing up, him, my mom, my brother, and I would go in do the repairs, clean up. So that's my first real glimpse into real estate.
0: Yeah. So what'd you think of it back then? Um, did you know or were you just like, I'm all in on, on the salon business, bro?
1: Well, when I was a kid, I didn't really think much of it. It was just something that we did every now and then when there was a, when there was a turnover. Um, so I never really looked at it growing up as a potential business uh, that I would go into. It just never crossed my mind. Which is kind of funny though, because I was always big into investing. For the longest time, I thought I'd be a stockbroker. Um, you know, I bought my first stock Ford when I was nine years old, and you know, kept buying stuff ever since then. So I was always into investing. But what really got me interested in real estate was when I was about seventeen, and saved up quite a bit of money from the landscaping. I really knew that I wanted to put this money to use. Um, I knew if I wanted to put it and invest it in my landscaping company, that involves buying another truck, trailer, another crew problem with that was one, at that time I was still in high school and going into my freshman year of college. So it's hard to manage, you know, crews when you're a 18, 19 year old kid. And two, still lived at home, still had all my equipment in my garage. That's not a scalable model that you can bring in another truck. Mom
0: and dad not happy about you doubling up on stuff. They (laughs) they would not be happy. So
1: I knew that I needed, I didn't want to sit in all this money. I needed to invest it. Um, and so I wanted to start another business, but I always told myself, if I ever start another business, it's not going to be a labor-intensive business. It'll be a capital-intensive. That way, you know, it takes money, but I'm not mowing out mowing lawns ten hours of the day and you know slaving slaving myself. So I was thinking about real estate. Um, I don't know how that, that thought kind of entered my mind. I mean, I had the background with my dad, but I can't really remember how exactly I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna this is what I'm gonna do with my money. But I approached my dad and see and asked if he wanted to partner up on a deal. Um, originally, my first thought was, "Let's buy a, a flip." You know, I don't want to buy and hold and make a few hundred bucks a month and put all my money away. You know, I want to do something that's gonna you know pay me ten, twenty thousand right now. Sexier, it's, it's sexier. It is. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, at that time, you know, two thousand twelve. You know, everyone was looking at real estate and the market was starting to you know turn around and. And strengthen. So flipping was a big thing. You always hear on the news and the TV shows. Um, but he was very against flipping. I mean, he's a pretty conservative, disciplined investor. Just want to do a buy and hold because he did buy one home when the, uh, during the recession in Berkeley, 2011. So he was coming off of buying one rental, thought that we should buy another one. But at the end of the day, he would just, he was going to do what I wanted to do. So we were trying to find flips. Um, didn't pull the trigger, you know. Just every beginner got to look at 50 homes and put some offers in. I am mean, at the time though, I mean, we were looking at homes in Ferndale for 50 sixty sixty thousand. Don't you and, wish
0: you would go back and buy all of know, them? I
1: just, I wish I was a little bit older and started all this a oh, little bit. Oh yeah, longer.
0: dude, don't even get me started. Pretty much everything I'm doing <laughs> is getting ready for the next crash. Yeah, regret. I know you think about you walking through the house and so picky, and you wouldn't even come up five hundred dollars. Makes you want to puke, doesn't it? Yeah.
1: But we never we never put out offers. Um so we were looking, looking, and you know, we were just, you know, probably a little scared, but so we were looking in Ferndale, Royal Oak, Berkeley for a rent for a, a, a flip, couldn't really find anything. And then one day my dad was looking on realtor.com and found this duplex in Pleasant Ridge. I mean Pleasant Ridge there might only be 10, 15 duplexes in the city, um, high valued area. You know they were asking 125 for a two up two down duplex, 1800 square feet. I mean it was just a deal of the century. So we looked at it, um, put an offer, and then that's what we did. So that that kind of changed the whole flipping to all right. Well, I guess we're going to buy and hold this.
0: Not going to flip that, right?
1: Well, that wasn't the plan, but ended up being a flip. Yeah. Okay. Walk me through how that happened. So we bought this home. We figured. Bought it for $125, went through conventional financing, um, had to come up with 30% down. Um, we split everything. Actually, him and I were 45-45 partners. And then my older brother, who was in college at the time, we gave him 10% equity, really just to get his labor during the summer. So that's the way we structured it. Um, so we figured, all right, our mortgage is about 1000 a month, which is 1000 exact pretty much. And it would rent for $1,800 between the two units. So it would have been a good rental, um, good solid duplex. So we buy the home. I can't even remember when in the process, but we. Uh, it might have been an issue with the insurance when we went to get insurance on it. We ended up finding out after the purchase that it was actually zoned as a single family and not a duplex. Oh shit! So the zoning wasn't how we needed it to, you know, operate legitimately. But the the seller. Who It was Um, it was actually a probate. So the guy who lived there and, and passed away, he owned that home for 30 years and would always live in one unit, rent the other out. So, you know, the whole neighborhood was accustomed to it as a duplex. So we figured, all right, the home is built as a duplex. It's been a duplex for 30-plus years. I know, I don't know, 25% of the city from working. My parents have been involved with city councils. And, tight, I mean, it's a close, tight-knit community. Let's just go get it. the zoning switched. I mowed homes for three of the um three of the uh people on the zoning committee. So I thought, you know, no risk, let's just get it switched and that's that. So that's what we were banking on. Um ended up not working out that way with the city, got denied.
0: Imagine that. So What was it, their reason out of curiosity? Did they have a good reason or
1: there was no reason. There was no explanation, there was just a vote. So we saw who voted for what. And that was made it. a mental
0: note. Well, so and is not getting Christmas cards. <laughs> yeah, I don't
1: I don't know how much uh what I can say and yeah, not. Yeah, be say, careful. But
0: I don't think they'll listen, but still be careful. Yeah, still well,
1: what was interesting is so we um lost that battle with the city and then had a I mean, as soon after that, I mean, as soon as that vote came in, that that final no, I just stormed out. So we had to regroup after that as a family and sit down and figure out, you know, what's this game plan? All of my money sunk into this house. A lot of my parents' money sunk in. It's a big investment. So we decided the best route was convert it to a single family and just sell it. We knew that we could rent it and, you know, make cash flow on that. But our thoughts were, you know, if the city doesn't want us, you know, having a rental in the city, then we don't want to be in the city. So I like that attitude. Right, there was some some bitterness. Um, interesting part is, so we committed to, to converting it to a single family and selling it. Maybe a week or two later, um, one particular person on the the zoning board called, saying she made they made such a big mistake. Wanted to to um, reverse her vote, get the get it switched. At that point, we said, you know what, we're just going to go single family and get out of it. Then a few weeks after that, the city lawyer called us and said you know what, we have to apologize. Your home was built in 1924. The zoning ordinance was enacted in 1929. Your grandfather in as a multifamily. Oh, and you didn't even need said, it. Nope, we're just gonna go oh, we're we're going still. to go and. Oh, still. Ooh, I like that. Decision is made. Yeah, and, and we already ordered granite for the upstairs kitchen and everything, so I still have that three and a half, year later, three and a half years later in my garage, sitting there <laughs> just waiting for the day I can use it. Have you any
0: close calls yet? You measure it every time.
1: Actually, I think I might've used one out of the three slabs. <laughs> and that was just this summer.
0: I like that you didn't throw it away. I'm going to no, use that sometime. That's dollars a granite. Hell right yeah. There. How could you get rid of that?
1: Yeah. So so that was really the first big hiccup with that property. Not the last though. Um, it took us about five months to rehab it. It was just me, my dad, my brother, my mom would pitch in. Did everything cosmetic. 1,800 square foot house. Huge property. Um turned out really, really nice. Put it on the market in October or November. Um three winters ago and that was a really, really cold winter. Um it sat for a little bit and then actually the pipes the water pipes froze. So we the water I mean I don't I can't remember what if we didn't, you know, leave the heat on high enough or what happened, but bottom line is I mean, we couldn't get water in the house and it was hot water, I and mean, we couldn't get heat there you know, to run the furnace, um, it was a boiler boiler system. So we had to contact the city and figure out, okay, whose pipes is it? How do we do this? We had no idea what the, the protocol was. So the city came out and they actually diagnosed that it wasn't our pipes. It was the city pipe that froze. Damn. So good news is that's not our responsibility. It's their, you know, their pipe, their money, they dig it up. So that was the good part. Bad part is one of, that was the snowiest winter in, in Michigan's history we weren't the only people to have pipes frozen in the city um, from the city side. So they had us uh, booked in with uh, the city of Royal Oak actually did the work. But because it was a vacant house, they kept dropping us on the the totem pole for getting done. So it took the city a month and a half, two months to get out and get the water back on. But at the time, you know, it couldn't get heat in the house. All the pipes that had water broke. You know, the toilet bowls had water standing that froze in the toilet bowls bursted. So it was, so the city cost us about a month and a half, two months we had to pull it for them to come in. And then it, it was a few warm months to get the plumbers in patch up the drywall, new toilets, stuff like that. So it was a five month rehab. We were off the market for a handful of months um, just because of that problem. But then we came out back on the market in the spring and that's really when the economy started to turn around the housing market. So I mean, that delay cost us time and money, but the way that market turned, we might have profited off of that so it was it was interesting, but we ended up selling it, and after everything said and done, as a whole, we made thirty nine thousand on it.
0: Not too bad. it
1: was just incredible I mean there was just nothing that went right except we just bought it dirt cheap at the right time (laughs) there's just no other thing i can attribute it to just buy at the right price right yeah and that i mean luckily because i'm i don't know i mean with the landscaping company i started that got aggressive with it right away if i want something and want to do something i really go all out so i knew real estate you know that's uh talking about a lot of money a lot of risk things can go go south fast but i was lucky that you know after that deal i really sat down and thought I realized that right away that, man, we just, we really didn't make this 40,000. We just got so lucky. So that really allowed me to, as aggressive as I have been the last few years, to really know always got to watch yourself. Because
0: let's go back to that. Let's go back to that. I hate to interrupt, but this is something I should have learned, right? So just because you did well, you didn't assume you were a genius. How did you, when you went back and did like your post game little research right there, how did you determine that you were more lucky than good?
1: more lucky than good. Let me, let me think back. I think the first time I really had that like, Oh shit moment that, you know, nothing went right, but man, this is going to turn out well is, so we really didn't log our expenses throughout the the process, Ooh. which I mean, that's, that's a whole nother story. But, um, that winter that it hit the market late fall, early winter, my parents went to Florida for a little trip and my dad's goal of that trip was take all the receipts and log them while he was there. So his
0: vacation was to log the receipts. He can't
1: stop working. Oh man,
0: I like this guy. So we need to we, get together.
1: We originally budgeted twenty five for the rehab. That was twenty five thousand. That was all just you know my dad's prior experience, which really wasn't. I I discredit a lot of his stuff, but man, he was he was he's been good with rehab budgets since then. Um, so we budgeted twenty five. Didn't keep track of the rehab as it was going on. So I figured you know we probably just got slaughtered. He texted me one night when he was in Florida saying the rehab was nineteen thousand boom I six thousand under six thousand under and it's not like we went through and you know made a full scope of work with the rehab and it really was just guessing um I mean I didn't know anything about prices for material or how long stuff takes things like that working with plumbers electricians so when we were going through those initial rounds of homes and we were looking for our first deal you know I would just tell him all right how much do you think this kitchen will be and he'll say oh I don't know four or five thousand. They even have the, the idea of asking him, all right, why do you think it'd be that much? I just kinda went with it. Yeah. Dad knows. So I mean he knows. I'm not discrediting him at all, but I don't you know. You didn't how, know. I didn't know, and I don't even know how he knows, but he knows. <laughs> so I mean, we just got lucky with the rehab, all the delays, the time, the extra money, but you still make thirty nine K that first rehab. That's and at that time, I and mean, I was reading bigger pockets four or five hours a day. I was just diving into any information I can get. So I had the general idea that for a flip, if you can make 20,000, you know, that's kind of the, the benchmark. So 40,000, double that first flip, not knowing anything, everything going wrong. I mean, I knew that wasn't, that wasn't me. (laughs) That was just a lot of luck.
0: No, it's also smart, because my dumbass <laughs> thought I was a genius. Uh, yeah, 2005, highest real estate market, everyone making money right and left, not keeping track of anything. Yeah. I'm a genius. No,
1: I was not.
0: <laughs> and I was much older than you, too. That's why. So if you're listening, sometimes you just get lucky, right? You get
1: lucky. Yeah, and it's important to know when you're lucky and know when you're right. And oh, man. keep yourself at bay when it's luck and don't overinflate what you think you know.
0: Well obviously now you have different tracking for your for your rentals and your flips, right? Different tracking. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's taken just like the billing for the landscaping company. I knew that that tracking was bad, but it's taken me a long time to make it it's how it somewhat should be, but it's still not where it needs to be.
0: So you, your dad and your brother and your mother were all partners on this deal, right?
1: Yep. Yeah. So
0: a lot of people do this, right? They partner with family and all that. Did you have some arrangement, if you had a disagreement, how you're going to work it out in advance?
1: So we did, but we didn't. So when we were splitting the equity, it was 45% to myself, 10% to my brother, 45% to my mom and dad. Um, And from the get-go, I told my dad, you know, what I would rather do is give you 46% and give me 44%. That way you always have the upper hand. Because, I mean, I know that I don't know what I'm doing. It's him that knows what he's doing. I trust him. You know, I'd rather you know, give the the extra percent, give him the majority, but he was always insisting on no, keep it 45. And we've always had a great family relationship all around. So there's never been any, you know, thought about, you know, what if this doesn't work out, you know, with the relationship wise. But so I did at the beginning insist on having him have that power built in, even to the legal aspect of it. Um, But he never wanted that. And it always just worked out.
0: That's amazing. So basically, don't do this if you have a shit family and you guys can't get along.
1: (laughs) Uh, I can imagine.
0: So this was your first deal, right? Your first real estate deal? First real estate deal. All right. What did you do after that?
1: So after that, so we ended up pulling quite a bit of money out, um, got taxed pretty hard, but still ended added some at the end of the day. And I mean, at that point, I really wanted to go into rentals just from reading everything online and just that, that stress from that flip. I mean, we made a lot of money, but still, that was just nerve wracking. So, and then just reading online, learning more about, you know, long term cash flow, building wealth. I was set on going to rentals. So I was, I thought I was in pretty good shape to now finally have this little pile of money, set it aside and leave it there for a while. Cause that's really why I wanted to go into flipping in the first place is, I mean, I thought, you know, I'm 18. Why could I, how can I possibly set $20,000 aside and not see it for years or decades or who knows how long? But that time, um, money from the the flip and then um, continuing making a lot of money from the the landscaping company and low expenses, sitting on a pretty good pile of cash. So that's when I wanted to go into to a rental. So it took about maybe six months or so of looking at homes, finding homes, being way too conservative on values and rents and not seeing numbers that worked more because I was too conservative with it than anything else. Finally, I saw a pretty good house in Oak Park, and I just I had to finally pull the trigger. Um, I knew I, at that point I realized that I was keeping myself back, so I just said, you know what, if this isn't the best deal ever, which on paper it is probably my worst rental, you know, I'll take it and it just gets me in the door, and that's really snowballed from there. Just finally getting in and even settling for a somewhat of a mediocre deal.
0: What do you What do you think was making you so conservative in your numbers when you were running? Because I'm assuming you're running some sort of after repair value, some return on investment, maybe even some sort of like quasi cap rate, all that. What was what yeah. holding you back?
1: So what was holding me back was, um, for, I mean, my dad's a very conservative investor from the get-go. So that was kind of ingrained in me, um, you know, rather be safe than sorry. And really seeing everything that went wrong on the, the first flip in Pleasant Ridge, but still having it come, you know, come out on on top, but knowing that really had nothing to do with my knowledge I knew that I can't really bank on, you know, me knowing what I'm doing because that's just, I mean, somehow worked out last time, but that wasn't because of me. So I think that built in a lot of um, me being pretty conservative from the beginning. Uh, Really what I was looking for is my return on investment. So even at that time, that was early to mid-2014. There were still some deals to have So my, because I still partnered up with my dad going on the rentals. Um, so he really wanted to stick to Ferndale, Berkeley, Royal Oak, and his thought and his philosophy with his homes was always, well, if I'm buying in a good area, I'll get a good tenant. So that made sense to me, but we were looking at these homes in Ferndale, Berkeley, Royal Oak, upper end areas, and I was looking to return on our cash. And it was, you know, eight, 10%, which a lot of people will take that all day. But I knew that if this is something I want to get into and scale up quick, I can't settle for an eight, 10% return because I don't have that much money to grow quick and sell for a lesser return. So I think I needed to be aggressive from the get-go and achieve a higher return on my cash so I can grow quicker. So I wasn't content with settling for the returns in that range. Um, so I wanted to look into homes that were lower priced, a little bit higher rent. So that's why I started looking to cities like Oak Park, Hazel Park, trying to find, you know, maybe you don't get as high value of a home. Um, Some people think you won't get as high quality of a tenant, but the cash on cash return is higher, kind of that risk and reward.
0: What were you shooting for, for
1: cash on cash? At that time, I think 15 was a number in my head. I don't even know how I got there. Yeah, it's going to be
0: hard in Ferndale and and Royal Love. Not possible, though, but difficult. Yeah, Yeah.
1: that was probably just a number I saw in bigger pockets and figured, all right, Detroit's going to be a lot higher than 15, but I don't know if I want to venture there. I don't blame you. I don't blame
0: you. What was it about the Oak Park deal, your first rental that you just felt like you had to pull the trigger on something or was it a good deal? Or walk us through that one.
1: So that deal, it was a house on the MLS. Um, it was listed for seventy six, seventy eight, which at the time that was definitely fair market value, if not even above. It was sitting on the market for a while. So we saw this home and it was really the first week or two I even started looking Oak Park on, on Realtor.com, Zillow dot com and venturing out of Ferndale really Oak, just looking for higher chasing that higher return. So I saw this home, the pictures, you know, Oak Park, everything's brick, three bedrooms, basements, garage, really well built homes. And I was looking at these numbers and I thought, you know, it's it's getting there. You know, even if I buy it pretty close to fair market value, but I don't have to put a ton in the rehab, it was a pretty looked pretty decent. Um when we got it. That Cause you were going to finance this, right? Yeah. It was yeah. A, so you're looking to
0: leverage as yeah, well. So it okay. was a
1: typical um, 25% down. And at that time, although yeah, at that time my dad and I got in the mortgage. So we were co-borrowers. So that changes the numbers quite a bit too. So it's a leveraged 15%, yeah. which is a lot more attainable. Yes. So that was the first home that I saw that we could get 15%. And then, you know, it was just a well-built home. So it took a little while to convince my dad, you know, that we should be looking in Oak Park and get away from Ferndale really low with really hot areas. And then when we got into the home, he just saw, you know, how well built, you know, structurally sound the the house was. And he kind of got sold on that part of it. Just the quality of the housing stock.
0: So it took you six months to get to that one. And you just had to reassess your whole approach, right? Check different areas. Um, Obviously, you've acquired more rentals since then, right? Walk, I think right around this time is when I, when did I meet you? I'm trying to remember exactly. Was it right around that time? Yeah. Right around 14 or something? Or was it 13? I can't remember.
1: I went to my first two RDI meetings while I was rehabbing the Pleasant Ridge home. And I probably took a pretty good hiatus and then started to go again shortly before this home, I think.
0: Yeah, so it was 2013, and you started popping back up around 2014. Yeah, cause that's
1: right? when I started. Yeah, to, started to buy rentals in 14, Because that's really
0: 14. when you kind of start to take off a little bit too, right? Got a couple under your belt. Yeah. Got a little experience. Walk, walk us through the rest.
1: Yeah, so bought that first home. Um, good tenant, really good house. Started to make you know a few hundred bucks a month, and I thought, man, this is it. Like this is the this is the, the winning formula right here. So at that time, you know, the landscaping business was still just a cash cow. Living at home, low expenses, don't spend my money. So I figure everything I'll make in this business, just keep pumping into homes. So in fourteen I bought the Oak Park home and then one home in Hazel Park. And then fifteen, I think, was four rentals. Damn. And then it just then sixteen was a sixteen was a busy year at the second half of the year. So it really just started to scale after that.
0: Where are the rest of your rentals at? Do you stick to Oak Park or do yeah, you branch so out?
1: There, currently, I have five in Oak Park, three in Hazel Park. And then I just bought my first uh, home outside the areas I really know in, in um, Roseville. I bought that a few weeks ago from Ron Walraven.
0: Yeah. How you, do you end up in Roseville? That's a long ways away.
1: I don't know. So I knew that for real estate, part of you know being so conservative is I only really wanted to invest in areas I knew really, really well. Um, I think that gave me a, a knowledge advantage that could a lot mitigate a lot of risk. You know, if I know every single street, good blocks and bad blocks, that can protect me from a lot of downside. So I was real set and only looked at, you know, a few cities, Oak Park, Hazel Park, still looked at Ferndale. But I knew that, you know, if I really wanted to keep going and, and grow this big, yeah, I wanna dominate those two cities, but I have to branch out. So then I saw this Roseville deal and it was a pretty good deal and I thought, you know what? I just got to go for it, kind of. I mean, kind of like buying that first rental where I knew I just had to pull the trigger. I knew that you know I have to pull this trigger, get out of my comfort zone because that's where I'm going to have to be if I want to really keep going with this.
0: Yeah, well, get it gets challenging, right? You, you hit hit stops and you got to push forward. So you financed all these on the purchase. You buy any cash and refired? You buy them no, all?
1: Everything was with a thirty year fixed rate mortgage. Um, I've worked out my first seller financing deal last May, I believe it was. And that was, I was working on a house in, um, in April in Oak Park and the neighbor's two doors down, who's a renter said, you know, I'm moving, um, in a few months, my owner lives out of state. I don't know what he wants to do with this house, but if you want to give him a call, he might be interested in selling. So I got the owner's number, gave him a call, um, talked a little bit about selling Uh, You know, didn't follow up as I should have got busy and didn't prioritize, but a few months later followed up and actually worked out a seller finance deal where it was a, uh, it was, wait,
0: was that, is that the same one?
1: That's yeah. That's the one that you came over.
0: Okay. I just started, I just started piecing it together (laughs) real quick. Yeah. Okay. Cool, man. Yeah. So that was the same one. So that actually worked.
1: Yeah, that worked. And that when I actually negotiated, so the house as is value was about 50,000 and he owed 50000 on his mortgage. So he was willing to sell it and just walk away and not make anything. Um, but I didn't really want to pull out a mortgage at that time because, I mean, you only have really 10 mortgages until you have to rethink the um, financing game. So I wanted to try to figure out how I can keep acquiring properties without putting all my capital in one house and sit for a year to refinance. Or, so I was looking into seller financing options. And I thought, all right, well, this could be, the, this could be a good one. So I ended up working on a deal with him where I'm leasing the house from him for the amount equal to his mortgage payment, which is six thirty a month. And I gave him a thousand dollars down and I in turn rent that house out for a thousand a month. And I have the option of buying that house in five years for fifty thousand, which is the value of the house today. So That's a good deal. It ended up working out pretty well. And hopefully That's a damn good if deal. the market keeps going and I'll sell that house before the five years and you know, pay him off and keep the profit.
0: That's an excellent deal. And for those listening, sorry, I didn't mean to be so cryptic. I was actually in his office and we were talking about a deal. And so he was telling me, and then I remembered what we were talking about. So it happened to be the same lead in the same deal. So
1: I got to the point where I wanted to do more marketing, find, find better deals. So I was getting into marketing a little bit. And then like everyone else, you get lazy, you don't follow up. So, you know, I stopped with the marketing was inconsistent then you came over one day to, and one thing you said was, all right, well, let's call some people. And I thought, shit. Oh, the yeah. The only people I have to call are people I haven't talked to. In I'm months. heavy on the
0: calling people, and aren't I? I just, <laughs> so I knew it was going to be uh, some <laughs>
1: awkward conversations, but I called him up and he was still interested and...
0: Aren't you glad you did?
1: Yeah, that worked out well. Man,
0: I, I, I've, I'm rarely disappointed by the things I do. <laughs> I'm I'm usually disappointed by the things I don't do. Yeah. So, And I wouldn't call you lazy. You just didn't have a system.
1: No, and just not prioritizing yeah. my time how I should.
0: When you don't have a system, it just looks like you're lazy, right? But you don't know. That's why I tell everybody, get a CRM. I can't remember shit. If it doesn't go in the CRM and it doesn't go in my calendar, it might as well just not exist. Like I'm terrible at that stuff. So... If you find yourself thinking you're lazy, you might just not have a system. So that's a cool deal you got right there. Yeah, 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 that was a good one. Now, obviously, at some point in time, you said, "Hey, I need to get back to flipping." First, what made you start considering flipping again?
1: So, what made me start considering flipping is when I sold the landscaping company. When I signed that first the twelve month you know deal with the um, the buyer out of Royal Oak, I was entering my senior year of college, and I thought, okay. I mean, I'm doing real estate, making a little bit of money each month from the rentals, but I'm buying one, two, three homes a year. So I knew that one, I wasn't doing enough deal flow to justify going full time. And two, my income source is gone. You know, I, that's, that's how I funded my real estate. So going into my senior year of college, I knew that I had eight months of school just to figure out what am I going to do next? How am I going to make money? Knowing that no matter what, I want to make money to pump into real estate. So I thought about, you know, that's when I um fall of 2016 I started to do some marketing got inconsistent. Really wanted to to find deals and maybe try to wholesale to generate the capital to keep going cuz my whole thing was I need to get the deal flow consistent. So this is what I can do full time cuz how can I get it so I can be working at least 40 hours a week? Um so my senior year was kind of a a tough time where I really didn't know what I was going to do after I knew what I wanted to do, but didn't have any, you know, safety net. So and that's when I actually applied for Venture for America. And I found that out from your podcast with Castle. I was working out in in East Lansing and I heard about that. I thought, man, this is what I'm going to do. Work at VF, work for Venture for America, use that money, keep doing real estate on the side, buying a few homes a year.
0: Obviously, you changed your mind, though, right? You did a couple months there, and you decided to do something different. Yeah. Well, what made you change your mind?
1: So, for VFA, um, I actually never even so that whole process is you apply very competitive application process. I really didn't even know if I would get in. Ended up getting in. They um, they put you to a startup in in any major city. So I I told them that you know I can only be in Detroit. I have another real estate. I have a real estate business. I can't leave Detroit. I need to stay here. So I was limited on what I could do within Venture for America just to that fact. But I figured, you know, I can make it work. So I was dead set on that. And, you know, one day I just said, is this really what I want to do? If I'm going to do Venture for America just to make money to pump into real estate, like why? Why am I going to spend all my time working with the startup building someone else's business. And my goal is use that to build my business. That just doesn't make sense.
0: Why not just build your own business?
1: Yeah, just burn the bridge.
0: So did you decide that day or did it happen over a week? Uh,
1: That happened very, very sudden. Um, And actually, it was was about a month or two before Venture for America officially started. They send everyone to a Brown University for a six-week training. And I was signed up for that. And then one day, I just said, you know, I emailed the, the people at VFA saying, you know, I don't, I don't know if I can do this anymore. What are the ramifications if I get out? And they said, you know what? If you're out, you're out. That's it. So I was like, all right. And then they, they said, you know, if you want to give us a call or give us a day or two to think about it right away, replied to that saying, all right, I have to move on. I appreciate the opportunity. And at that point, it was still pretty scary because I figured at that time, I knew that I needed to get deals and find deals on my own to, you know, really at that time, it was just a wholesale. Um, And I knew that I looked at what money I had in the bank. You know, it wasn't really going to bring much coming in. The rentals were maybe going to pay my living expenses, and that was it. So I figured I have six months to make this work six months of marketing heavy until I run out of money. So if I can get traction in six months, great. If not, you know, I'll probably be able to find a job somewhere else and figure it out from there. But I knew I at least had that six month runway before it was kind of that, you know, all right, well, now I got to find the next step in my life. So, that was, that's how I really figured justified burning the bridge and going real estate full time.
0: Your first real flip, you're not, not buying as a rental. It turned into a flip. Yeah. How did you find your first flip?
1: All right. So that's a, uh, that's an interesting story that I need to make sure I watch what I say for the other parties involved. So at that time, I was doing some mailers, still looking on the MLS every single day, not finding anything. Um, mailers were, had some traction, but, you know, the follow-up wasn't there, the negotiation skills weren't there. So at this the my first real flip I purchased in May, last May, May of 2016. So what was key about that was that was still the time where I quit VFA and thought, you know what, six month runway. But then I got this flip and I figured, okay, I'll make pretty good money off of this. That'll extend the runway a little bit more. So it was really good timing. But I found that deal, it was actually off of Craigslist. Um some guy posted a very uh, undescriptive ad just saying twenty percent return Hazel Park. Message me. So message this guy. Met up at a Tim Hortons. He talked about all these plans he had for the city. And interesting guy is no longer around for different reasons right now. Got into some stuff and some legal problems. But basically, he had um five homes that he bought in Hazel Park to flip, and for circum for specific circumstances, he couldn't couldn't go on with those anymore. So he wanted to liquidate. So I was able to buy one home off of him. And that was my first true flip.
0: Boom. Just like that. Yeah. So you're the guy who actually responds to those vague posts, huh? (laughs) How often does that work out? How much time do you spend on Craigslist?
1: I don't know if I've even emailed anyone on Craigslist since. I mean, I don't know why I was looking. I think at that point I was just desperate knowing that, all right, if I'm not doing VFA, I got to get deals. So I think at that point I was just trying to turn to anything and everything. But yeah, I I mean, that worked from Craigslist, but I haven't even gone back to Craigslist since, which is probably pretty stupid because if it works, why are you not trying to do it more? But yeah, it was, that was really, really lucky that I found him and found that deal. Um, And again, with that deal, a lot of things went wrong, but ended up making 24,000 profit. And it's just, man. Did you buy
0: that cash or did you buy a conventional?
1: That one one I bought cash. Okay. So that one, I only needed 27,500 to purchase cash. Um, the rehab wasn't supposed to be a big rehab turned out to do everything.
0: Yeah, always. Um, right. <laughs>
1: but at that time I thought I would be able to sell this home for 80,000. And the way that I structured the deal with the, the seller was he would sell me this home, but I had to use his buddy for a real estate agent to sell it. So I figured, you know what, if I had to give 3% off at the end, that's still, you know, this deal still makes sense. So the agent that I used had a really good grasp of the Hazel Park market, a lot better than I did at the time. So I figured I would sell this home for 80000 We ended up selling the home for ninety, but had a $100,000 offer. So mm. a lot of things went wrong, a lot of over budget, but got 10000 more than I thought, but got a $20,000 more offer than I even thought originally I could get for the home.
0: And you did all the work on this one yourself, right?
1: Yeah, everything except... Um, the whole house had to be replumbed, so that was a, brought in a plumber. Um, electrician, changed the panel, and then needed a new roof. But other than that, I had my roofer do a little bit of framing in a basement, but that was it.
0: How long did it take you to rehab it start to finish? Do you remember? That
1: one was actually 10 weeks. Damn, I budgeted, that's not
0: too bad for a single guy and a couple yeah, subs. I
1: budgeted eight weeks for it, but ended up going out of town for a little bit. But at, that was the point where when I first started that deal, I knew that's exact, that deal is what I needed. You know, that'd be the money to propel me going forward. Um, but as that deal went on and I was there all day, every day doing the grunt work, I thought, man, this is miserable. I hate every second of this. Not that I can't do the work or don't want to, but it's just not the highest and best use of my time. Plus a lot of the work, I mean, I can do it, but I don't do it as well as a professional. And if I can pay a professional 25 an hour, if I value my time more, and they'll do it, you know, a lot quicker than I can. So at that time I knew it made no sense for me to do the rehab. So that's when I kind of, that was another real, you know, pivoting point in my business that, all right, I'll do this flip, make some good money, get out of it. But I'm not going to do this going forward where I'm doing all the labor. That's not how I want to run my business.
0: So then flip number two.
1: So then flip number two, that home was on the market. And at that time, I still had no idea what the next home would be. And I knew that, you know, that bought me another few months on top of that initial six months. But after that, I still had no, you know, good long-term perspective. So that home was on the market. And out of all people, because at that time, I started to post um, a lot of what I was doing on Facebook. um, Really extend from seeing what you were doing in the podcast and really just blasting social media. And then talking to people outside of you know, the RDI meetings and really seeing how that built up your credibility among people, I thought, man, that's something I should do. You know, if I put this out there, people might think that, okay, I'm actually doing stuff, you know, they can bring me deals and bring me opportunities. So I started to do that. And then out of all, out of all people, um, I got a text from this number that I didn't save. And it was like, Hey, I got four homes in Hazel Park. I want to sell Are you interested. I was like, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I may ask who this is. And he's like, it's your broker, it's Ron. <laughs> so, Ron. You didn't even have your broker's number in your cell phone. <laughs> yeah, so Ron Walraven, uh, brokered locally and, and does a lot of wholesaling and, and deal making. Came- Godfather
0: real estate investors <laughs> in Detroit. That's what I like to call him. He always gets embarrassed when I say that. But it's kind of true, right? Yeah. Come on, man.
1: Yeah, so he um so he came across this package of of homes that needed a lot of work. And he saw that, you know, I was doing stuff in Hazel Park and thought I might be interested. So he approached me about it. So I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll take a look at those homes, you know, not having the money to buy all four because he wanted to, you know, sell four as a package, but figured, you know, if he brings me opportunity, at least go along with it, right? Um, so I looked at these homes and I, I told him, you know, I'll be straight out with my numbers. So I told him what I needed to buy it at, what I thought the rehabs would be, what I thought the, um, the ARV was and what I would make, and what I needed to make. You know, I really didn't want to hide anything from him, knowing you know if I hide something, he's gonna he's gonna find it. He knows what he's doing. So I told him my buy numbers, and he said, "Well, that's what I have the homes for." So I thought, ah, all right, crap, well. yeah. And then, uh, and then actually at that time, so Ron was my broker, but I never met him in person. So really, we only so he- communicated Facebook chat, emails. That was it. That's funny. So that next day after I told him my number. He actually had his uh, monthly Saturday meetup in Troy. So I went to that first time I ever went to that first time I ever met him in person. So I got there early. We were able to talk. And then later that day, I think he sent me a text or maybe gave me a call and he's like, what if we partner up on these deals? So I thought, man, that's like, that just fell right into my lap. And you know, that's four homes to get through. That's uh gives me that extends my runway quite a bit and figuring out, you know, how I'm going to do this full time. So that was. That was really a, an inflection point for me in thinking, okay, this is actually gaining some traction. Not really sure how it was gaining traction, and you know what I was doing to get it to that point, and things just falling on my lap. But I knew that was this is going to be good. And then since then, a few more things, it, it fell into place, and some more deals, and starting to come together a little bit.
0: What did you change in your social media game when you decided you cuz you said you want to start sharing more? Yeah. Um, what were you doing before and what did you change to doing? Cuz yes. people might be like, "Hey, I want to I want I want somebody to say, "Hey, you want these deals," right?
1: <laughs> so before, I wasn't doing anything. Never posted about real estate, never put up pictures on rehabs. Um what I started to do was just, you know Well, hold on,
0: hold on. Why? Like
1: just never How old are you? 22. you were literally <laughs>
0: From the social media generation, how did you end up being on the other side of this for so long?
1: I mean, part of it is, you know, I was able to have a pretty successful landscaping company, high school and college. And, you know, I was making, you know, more than any of my friends were making, more than some of the parents were making. I never really wanted to, you know, boast that or kind of be that asshole that, you know, is doing well and everyone knows that he's doing well. So I always shied away from, you know, blasting stuff like that out. But really when I figured, okay, well, I need to do this not for, you know, bragging, but this is a business, this is an investment. And, yeah. in, you know, people see that I'm a player, that I'm going to get a return out of that. So, you know, I just started to post pictures of, you know, the kitchen I put in, the granite that came in, and just the progress of the the flip that I was doing at the time.
0: And how long uh, of doing that before you started getting opportunities?
1: It was a day or two after I posted my first set of pictures in the Metro Detroit real estate Facebook group. And I, uh, an experienced Flipper who's been on this podcast. I didn't ask him if I could name drop. I'm not sure what the, uh, that protocol. If you're not was.
0: sure, don't. Yeah. Yeah.
1: He's a, a really good guy. has a lot of experience. He messaged me, never met him before at a meeting or anything. He messaged me saying, Hey, you're doing this in Hazel park. Like I didn't know flipping was going on in Hazel park. So we talked about the market a little bit. Um, got along pretty well. Just Facebook chat. Ended up meeting him in uh, at a um, coffee shop in Novi a few weeks later and then our second meeting ever, you know, he's like, I told him about this deal, didn't have the capital needed, uh, you know, to buy. He's like, all right, well, why don't we, I don't I buy it and we partner up. So, I mean, that was directly that relationship stemmed from, you know, trying to put myself out there on social media.
0: Boom. Just like that. Just
1: like that. It was instant.
0: And you're still doing it, right?
1: Yep. Still doing it. um, him and I are actually closing up this house. There's another problem house, but we're closing at the end of this month and we're ready for the next one.
0: Another problem house. We'll, we'll have oh, you back yeah. on for that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's wrap it yeah. up first before before you get on to that. So um, what do you think the future holds for you? You seem like a guy who has a, at least some idea on where you're going. You think about things a lot. You plan things a lot. Um, what do you What do you see the future?
1: Yeah, so I know that I, I've always, you know, I've always had a pretty good sense of where I wanted to go, but I know that No one ever knows exactly how they're going to get there. So I've never been huge on planning the step by step by step, but more of having, okay, this is where I want to go. I know things are going to happen. You know, you're going to have to adjust and twist and turn. So ideally what I want is I want to have deals. I mean, I'm all about doing deals, deal flow. I love just seeing the numbers, running the analysis, figuring out, you know, how you can make this work, who can buy this. So long term and, you know, short term too, I really want to step up and get consistent again with marketing. So I have d- more deal flow coming in, you know, so I can flip these homes if I want it, buy it cash as a rental, wholesale them. So I want to get into more of uh, lead generation. Um, I met up with a, a local investor uh, a few months ago. and We had a good conversation. I was telling him, you know, how my business has is, is picked up lately. And, you know, some people are bringing me these deals and it's working out well. And he said, you know, that's what he said. really sucked me. You know, that's that's really good. But not having control of the deal. You know, is that really what you want long term? And that stuck to me. If you have control of the deal, you know, that puts you in a lot better position. So I think that if I can continue working with some of these partners and get it to the point that on these rehabs with them, I'm not there all day, every day. And it's a little more passive. Then I still have the, can buy my time to keep finding my own deals and have control of that deal. It just opens a lot more doors and allows me to do what I want, which is just doing deals and however way that best way that is. Yeah, it's
0: pretty exciting. It's been fun. It's been fun. Uh, It's been fun watching from the outside looking in. This next segment's my, I don't know. I think it's my favorite. This is like the habits, routines, books, podcasts, anything that you think has helped you a lot. And or I started throwing this in too. Because I had several people like, I don't have anything to recommend, but here's what not to do. <laughs> Any Anything you would recommend not doing? So, one or the other or both.
1: All right. Well, let's start with the not to do. Don't trust that all contractors are good. Don't trust that all tenants are good. Screen, screen, <laughs> screen. Um, but in terms of habits, and I've never been huge on, you know, waking up at a certain time, morning rituals. The last few months, I've actually been trying to figure out what habits and In routines, do I need to be most productive? So really trial and error. Um, I've tried waking up early every day and that's tough because I'll work until 1 a.m. if I want or midnight. And so work, waking up at 5, 6 a.m. isn't always the easiest thing for me to do. Um, so it's nothing that I can really pinpoint. The only thing that I think that I've done consistently, even when I started the, the lawn care company is just try to read and learn as much as I possibly can and really. Surround and listen to people that are doing what I want and then just try to reverse engineer what they're doing and what's working because landscaping industry, that's the most boring basic business there is. Real estate, I mean, how long has real estate been around since man's been around? It's not, it's nothing very new or innovative. And I'm not a very creative or innovative thinker. I'd rather just do something that's true and tried, do it just a little bit better and a little bit smarter and then just pick up the little cues that people drop there, you know, doing what I want to do and just reverse engineer and copy what's working.
0: Any favorite books? I know you were talking about hours and hours of reading bigger pockets. I don't even know how you fucking did that. (laughs) That's dedication right there. But any books that, um, that you, you thought were better than others. Yeah. I
1: think the three biggest books in the last two years or so I read the, um, the Warren Buffett way it's, uh, I mean, I can't, I'll have to look up the author, but it just talks about, it dives a lot of the deals that Buffett has done from, you know, when he started off doing private equity to, uh, you know, buying Coke and, and McDonald's, socks like that. So it really breaks down a lot of his deals and his philosophies on investing. So that was really a, a good book and just how to think about investing long term, that long term perspective to it. Um, short. And then two other books that have been really good are The Lean Startup. That's really been a paradigm shift in how i think about building a business and then the one thing by gary keller
0: yeah that's a great book
1: that's a that's what i need to do more of in time blocking i think that's what if i can get the time blocking down and start prioritizing better that's what's really going to take me to the next level
0: yeah you and me both if i can get that shit down and do it consistently makes life a lot easier is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't talked about and I would like your permission to have you back on in like two or three years, maybe. Maybe even a year. We'll see where you're at.
1: <laughs> yeah, see how, yeah. how I can start prioritizing right and make yeah. some more progress. So. Hey, you're only
0: 22, man. It's looking pretty good so far. Yeah. Shit, I was a fucking shit sandwich at 22. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't have a bunch of rentals and a bunch of flips and a bunch of people wanting to partner with me. That's for sure. Yeah, so. yeah, I
1: still can't. I mean, man, some of these people are giving me deals and writing me checks. It's like I would never write a check to a 22-year-old. I don't know how they do it or what.
0: You don't act like you're 22 years old. That's yeah, why. It's, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. but... You're uh, only 22 in age. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, nothing else I can really think of. Um, appreciate you having me on. And
0: Yeah, man. This is fun. It's been fun watching you. Folks, I highly recommend that you go check them out. Um, go to facebook.com forward slash Ridge, R A D G E, investment properties, or go check them out, Carson buys houses.com and all of this will be in the show notes. Thank you, Carson. Appreciate you yet being on the show. Go check them out folks. And let's help Carson out a little bit, right? takes a lot of time for these people to come out and do these podcasts. He could be rehabbing a house. He'd be looking for a deal. He could be doing all sorts of other things. So rate and review on iTunes and share. This podcast and share it so we can see it because then we could say thank you. And for everybody sharing it that I don't see or maybe I miss on accident, thank you. I really do appreciate it and it really does help. So if you enjoy and find this podcast helpful, rate, review, share. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, go to renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in attending any of the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash renegade Detroit investors. Or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at Jeremy Burgess. I'm on Snapchat at Jeremy A. Burgess. And, of course, go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. And as I wrap up this podcast, I do want to take it take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent. I know. Say it every week. I mean it. Bad starts, mistakes, whatever. Whatever your excuses are, pick a goal. Stick with it. Do something every day. Get you closer. Even if it's one step. And I do want to thank you for listening to the podcast. I really do appreciate your attention. I know you can be doing lots of other things right now. Until the next podcast, crush it.